Good morning. Good morning. All right. We continue our series this summer in God's priceless promises. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. What an exciting and exhilarating feeling to be on a winning team. Amen? Amen. On a winning team. Whether it's our school team, our traveling team, our sports team, our Super Bowl team, or our scholastic team from school, our study group nailed the presentation, our neighborhood Christmas decoration competition, our work team that just landed the big contract, or the team that cut the most money and the cost out of an important project. Winners, winners, winners. But whenever there are winners, there are also losers. And when we often experience death in those around us, because you've not experienced it yet yourself, amen? You've not experienced death yet yourself, amen? Okay, you're still sitting there like you're, you're, no. But when you go through that, you don't feel like winners. You, you feel like losers. You, you feel the sense of loss of someone that was close to you and that you're no longer going to be able to talk with them. You visit and you see rows and rows of graves. Whether it was during this time of July 4th, a Memorial Day, and you see all the crosses and all the tombstones, you begin to believe that death is the winner, that we're the losers. It's a struggle. And the question that we're going to look at this morning through the eyes of Apostle Paul is, what is the winning side? Where is the victory? As we go to funeral after funeral, how do we not feel like losers? Because we know if the Lord tarries, one day our casket will be there and one of those gravestones will Mark the spot where they place our body. Makes you feel defeated, doesn't it? Makes you kind of wonder what's going on. Well, Paul understood that struggle. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is in the midst of answering some questions that the Corinthian church and the Corinthian believers were concerned about. And they were concerned about the doctrine that talks about the believer's future bodily resurrection. He describes the nature of the resurrection, but he leaves in the minds of these believers a nagging question. And that's, I think it's a question for us as well too. What about those 
believers who have not yet died. When Jesus comes back, if we're still living, what happens to us? Are we going to be stuck in our mortal bodies? Are we going to miss out on the resurrection? Are we going to have to die first before we can then go to heaven? That's the questions these believers had and were struggling with. And so do we. In verses 50 to 58, Paul answers that question. And in the process of answering that question, he gives us a promise that we're going to look at today in particular. But I want to set it up for you. In verse 50, he poses a dilemma and gives us a principle. Verse 50, let me read it. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Flesh and blood, perishable, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, think about this. Can a body inherit the kingdom of God? Yes or no? Oh, see, you don't really know the answer, do you? It's like, you're just where these believers were. So, how do I know that a body can inherit the kingdom of God? Because I look to our Savior, Jesus Christ. As he ascended into heaven, did he ascend into heaven with a body, yes or no? Yes. Was it a normal, mortal, flesh and blood body? No, it was a resurrected body that had a little different composition to it. But he went to be with the Father in heaven, in a body. So the question then that comes into my mind and I think into our minds is, so do I have to go through death to get my resurrected body so I can then go to heaven? That's the question that these believers were struggling with. And so Paul answers him. Verses 51 and 52, a mystery revealed. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. When it says there in verse 51, behold, whenever you see that in the scriptures, understand something important is about to be said, about to be revealed. And he says, I tell you a mystery. Now, this isn't a whodunit mystery. This mystery in the New Testament, when the word mystery is used, is a truth previously unknown, but now God has revealed it through one of his apostles. And as he shares this in verse 51, 52, this is not found in the Old Testament. This is new information. And he says, 
We shall not all sleep. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. And notice the word we is used throughout this section right here. Why? Because Paul is including himself in this mystery. He will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Not every Christian will die before they receive a new body. But everyone must experience this change. And notice, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet for the church, it talks about a moment, a twinkling of an eye. It is an indivisible fragment of time. One translation, in the blink of an eye. That's, it's that fast. You, we now have stopwatches and things that can take it down to hundredth of a second. But back then, it's going to happen so fast. But notice in verse 52 as well, this change that will take place will be instantaneous. We will be go from mortal body to immortal body instantaneously. No process, no hard times, immediate, immediate. In verses 53 and 54, as Paul now talks about this process of transformation, notice in verses 53 and 54 that four times he says we must put on, put on, put on. It is as if we're putting on new clothes. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. What he is saying there is that it is absolutely necessary for transformation to take place for us to enter into our spiritual mode for future existence. I cannot take this flesh and blood to heaven the way it is. Why? Because it's subject to death, it's subject to sin, it's subject to temptation. I must shed this. And that's God's job. He wants me at that instantaneous moment, I'm going to put on this new set of clothes that are imperishable and immortal. And when I put on immortality, I will be untouchable by sin and death. What he's saying here is either through resurrection I'm already dead and I rise from the dead or through transformation, the results will be the same. I will be untouched by sin or death. And the result at the end of verse 54 is victory. Victory. Because believers' resurrected bodies will be immortal and imperishable and death will never be able to touch us again. 
were victors. So Paul, as he is processing all this, in verse 55, he begins taunting death. Taunting death. Oh, death. This is kind of trash talk, isn't it? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, maybe I've learned because I was picked on as a child, but I learned never to taunt someone who can smash me into the ground. Never trash talk someone who can pummel you on the court. Don't do that. Because if you start to taunt some other player or some other team, often they can have the last laugh. Paul understands that. Because death can no longer take him down. Now, up to this point, it looks like the grave wins. But in the end of 54, it says that death is swallowed up in victory. It pictures that word swallowed up of something being swallowed completely and gulped down. And Paul now says in 55, death, you have been rendered harmless. See, death is our last enemy, is it not? We are born, we live, we work, we have families, we, we live into our old age. Some of you really work at living into your old age. But the grave has the last say. We think. We think. But it doesn't. And what Paul is saying here to the believers there and to us, even though death was your last enemy, death no longer is victorious. No longer victorious. He then goes on in verses 56 and 57 to make some doctrinal declarations, some statements In verse 56, he talks about the cause of death. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Death gains its authority over man through the result of our sinning. Death results from our sin. But secondly, it also says that sin inflicts its sting of death through the law. And that is true. But 57, verse 57, is a grateful promise. A grateful promise. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our promise. We no longer need to fear death and the grave because we now are victorious. Notice he starts off by saying, but thanks be to God. Very grateful. And this victory over condemnation of the law, sin, and death comes to us through Jesus Christ. 
If you would, keep your finger there and would you turn back one book to Romans chapter 8. For Romans chapter 8, page 1200 there in the Pew Bible. Starting at verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 2 especially though. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Vanquished. You are now victors over death and the grave because Jesus Christ makes it possible for you. That's the promise. Ran across this quote that I added into your overflow section. Let me read it by Chuck Swindoll. After the resurrection and rapture of believers, never again will we grieve the loss of a loved one. Never again will we worry about terminal diseases. Never again will we cope with the frailties of old age. Never again will we plan funerals, execute wills, worry about loved ones we leave behind. Never again will we need to nurse the lingering emptiness and grief we feel when a spouse, a child, or a parent is taken from us by the enemy. On that day, death's sting will be permanently gone. What a magnificent promise. And that is the promise for us. Victory in Jesus. Now he just doesn't stop there at verse 57 and say, here's the promise, live it out. He then makes in verse 58 some practical directives. In that one verse, he's going to take a hard look inward and a hard look outward. The verse starts with the word, therefore. And in that one statement, and as he moves forward, he's going to take a highly theological discussion and going to turn it into encouragement for moral and spiritual steadiness. He's basically going to say, in light of your secure future, would you be faithful to live now in the present? And what does it look like? Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain four phrases that are so important. The first one is, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Stand firm. Back in the original language, the word there means to be seated. When you're in this position, how stable are you? How secure are you? How easily can you tip over? Well, I think if you were the old man there on laughing, you would tip over anywhere. But here, seated, this is firm. I can deal with life here. And that's the meaning of the word. This firmness in belief, 
firmness in doctrine, firmness like a foundation, morally fixed. I have convictions. It's based on my mind and my thinking. So Paul is saying, in light of our victory, that we will not have to fear death or the grave because it has been vanquished. Would you please make sure that your thinking doesn't get muddled? Stand firm. And then he follows up with the word, be immovable. In in light of this past week in California, they can't say that, can they? They're movable. This, this idea here in this passage is not readily shaken in one beliefs, not wavering in my beliefs. I, I'm solid. And so as you study and as you grow as a believer in Jesus Christ, stand firm. Decide what you believe and then believe it. Thirdly, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. Superabundant. Beyond measure. To excel. To give more than enough. And I know I hear sometimes, uh, I'm too young to do that. Or, I've already, I've already paid my dues. I've already served. Paul is saying, have you met death yet? Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. He has put things out there for you to accomplish. Would you do them? Do it well. Go over and above. Go the extra mile. Overflowing. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is is not in vain. That word knowing there has the idea is to have knowledge acquired through reflection or thinking or to have knowledge and being able to understand it and use it. So, no. It's not empty. It's not futile. Do you understand that your labor, now that you are a child of God, you're a believer in Christ is that your labor will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ? We don't work to get saved. It's all by grace. But once we are now one of his children, he has jobs for us to accomplish. And when we say yes to him, he keeps track of all that. I can't imagine the spreadsheet that he must have keeping it all in track. But he does. And one day, each one of us will stand before him and he will ask us about how we spent this life as believers in Jesus Christ and when the jobs that he's given us to accomplish, did we do it? Did we give excuses? Did we, like Jonah, say, well, I know what you want me to do, but I'm going to run the other way we're going to receive rewards. So are you living in light of his return? 
If I were to encapsulate this into a statement, as believers, we will all be transformed, period. That's the victory. We will all be transformed. Death is a vanquished enemy. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. Amen? What does this mean for us? A number of things. Number one, don't let death rattle you. Now, each of us here, we've not gone through death yet, but we've had close relatives. And I've seen some people come to death and get rattled and anxious and wonder. I've also been in other people's deaths who it was just moving from one room to another. Why? I think they understood this passage. We'll all pass through death unless Jesus comes back. But please understand, death will not ever keep us in its grip because we pass from this life and we pass into the presence of Jesus Christ. We are victorious in Christ. Yes. Secondly, rather than living for the present, we as believers should live in the present with the future clearly in view. See, do our beliefs translate into what we do? Do we believe that we will one day face our Savior with great joy and that he will say, I'm glad that you're home. How did work on earth go? What'd you get accomplished? Are you always abounding in the Lord's work? Or are we filled with excuses? Only you can answer that. But I know that we can be about his work because we are victorious in Christ. Thirdly, Paul doesn't urge us to set a date for the rapture. He, he doesn't tell us, quit your job and set up your lawn chairs there at home. He doesn't say, sell all you have and wait for that great trumpet in the sky. But Paul does encourage us to live today like Jesus could come back at any moment. He does say to us to sit firm about our beliefs. He does say to be about the task that God has assigned to each one of us to accomplish. And how can we do this in the midst of our frailties? Because we are victorious in Christ. As I worked through this passage this week, I thought back to my high school days. And so we're, we're going to relive my high school days, and I think probably yours as well, too. Now, why do I say that? Because I remember in high school, more than any other time in my life, pep rallies. Remember the pep rallies and the cheerleaders would get out there and maybe the winning team would be there and we'd celebrate what just took place. And I remember one of the chants that I have slightly altered for this morning. 
And the chant is this, and we're going to all do this after I give you the chant. Okay? Here is the chant. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. Now that's the word victory. Okay? So I just spelled it out for you. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. That's the Christian's battle cry. Amen? So let's do that together. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. That's the Christian's battle cry. One more time. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. That's the Christian's battle cry. That's your battle cry and mine. And as life comes at you, when you bury another friend and you grieve over their loss, if they knew Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're experiencing victory. And as you begin to age and that moment comes when you have to say goodbye to this world, would you please remember as of today, the victory is yours in Jesus Christ. It's yours. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not yours. It's his he is giving to you because he is victorious. As we celebrate communion this morning, victory. Victory over sin. Victory over Satan. Victory over death. His resurrection proves it. And as we partake of the elements of the bread and the cup this morning, we are again remembering this truth. He was victorious, so we can also be victorious. Amen? So we take this, we remember his death, we remember his burial, we remember his shed blood, but we remember his resurrection. We remember that one day he has promised to come back for his church, the children of God, and he wants us ready. Let's pray.